Good morning. That's a very wonderful response. Um, I hope you're well this morning. And if you're new to the church, I hope you're enjoying um, your experience of, of Muttley Baptist Church. But more importantly, we hope that you meet with Jesus here this morning because that's our heart re- here at Muttley, right? Boom. Yeah, absolutely. That, that people will come here and meet with the presence of God, meet with this Jesus in whom we worship. Now, if you are joining us for the first time, or maybe you've forgotten where we've been in this series, we're looking at a series on giving, which is always one of those potentially tender topics to explore about money and finance, so what that means in regards to the church, particularly if we look back over history and mourn, really, at a lot of the, the hypocrisy and use of finance in the past. So let me explain at the start that we believe um, giving, uh, giving is a way of worshipping God. It's part of us giving to God what, to some extent, is already his. If he owns and has everything in the world, if he created all things, then our finances, ourselves, everything in that respect belongs to him. So it's a worship offering in that respect. And hopefully we'll explore a bit more of that in the message. But at the start, rather than doing the reading this morning, I want to kind of tell the story of that we're looking at in Mark 12. So if you did want to look at it later, it's Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. But I'm not going to read it. I'm going to tell you the story. But this requires some imagination. I know that sometimes you can come in a Sunday morning. You, did you manage to find a place to park as well? Everyone, well, you obviously did because you're here, but <laughs> others might not have on the basis they've cornered off some of it. But we can come here with all the busyness and craziness of what's gone before, sit in the service and kind of go, all right, well, he's just going to tell us some nice facts and things we can think about and we can go away. I'm going to need you to fully engage your brains and begin to imagine what is going on in the scene that I'm going to paint. My dad is a minister and he used to do youth talks and he used to talk about imagination cream. He used to talk about reaching into the deep recesses of your pocket to find what he called imagination cream that you'd then put all over your face. And apparently, as a child, I believe that would help me imagine. So if that helps you put on the imagination cream, whatever it takes. But let's enter this story and see what God has to say to us. Bracker wakes from her normal, deep sleep. She stretches and yawns. She reaches over to the right left of her bed to try and hug her husband. But she finds nothing there. Just linen bedsheets. He's not there. In fact, Bracker's husband died two years ago. Yet still, on occasion, she'll wake up thinking he's with her. You see, she may only be 45, but she was married to her husband for for 31 years. She sits up in her bed, and her stomach begins to growl. She's hungry. She often wakes up hungry. Bracker can only afford one meal a day. You see, when her husband died, she lost all of her land. And she had no brother-in-law, so she couldn't marry him and continue to have any source of income as the law would require. So she had nothing. No food. The only saving grace was the fact she had the house she was living in. But you know, with Bracker, that didn't stop her faith. She still had faith in God. In fact, her faith was probably deeper now despite the suffering she'd been through, despite the pain she'd been going through. She sits up on the end of her bed. She puts her head in her hands and she begins to pray. Not one of those prayers of eloquent, fancy academic phrases, but a simple, humble prayer of faith and hope in amongst pain. Later in the afternoon, she leaves the the solitude and the emptiness of her house, and she enters the, the busyness, the craziness of Jerusalem city. Everything is bustling. 
She begins to walk past various marketplaces, vendors shouting out and trying to vie for her attention and draw them to their nearest produce. Come over here, love. I may be using a bit of modern translation there. Come and look what we've got. Come and buy our things. There's so many colors, so many smells, so many things to hear. It's an absolute assault on her senses. She makes her way for about two miles into the center of the city and she comes to the Jerusalem temple. She approaches and stands by the wall, one of the walls entering the temple. This wall is huge. So high, in fact, she has to strain her eyes just to see the top of it. The wall has a colonnade along the bottom, a bunch of pillars in line. And in an unassuming manner, she makes her way in between two of the pillars into a small entrance in the wall. She comes into what is called the Court of the Women. This court is so grand, but it's the only place in which women can go in the temple precincts. Within this particular court are four huge towers. She stands by them, about 80 foot tall in height, with four golden lampstands on top. They're spaced in a kind of square in the middle of the court. If you go beyond this particular court, past the high towers, you come to some steps which lead up to an entrance, which lead to the court of the priests. Here, in the the middle of this court, is a massive altar where the priests would make the animal sacrifices. And just beyond that, is the beauty of the temple itself. Four huge pillars holding up the entrance. It is a magnificent sight. But back in the court of the women, Bracca turns right, she passes one of the huge towers with the golden lampstands on, and she joins a queue. She's not British, but she enjoys a queue. She joins a queue of people who are heading towards one of the wall at the inside of the temple. This wall, very similar to the outside, again, there's a colonnade of pillars. And the, the people heading there are going in between two of these pillars to put their money in the treasury. She stands, again, in an unassuming manner, arms crossed with her head kind of bowed. She stands next to so many people of great wealth. You can tell it by their expensive clothes. The women have have long robes made of fine linen and wool. The embroidery is so ornate and beautiful all over their garments. The men have a simple tunic with a kind of soft, gentle coat that sits over the top that comes down to their knees. She stands there in, in, in just a rough brown robe, clearly stating her position in comparison to the rich and elite of society. The queue is heading towards the temple treasury. The temple treasury where they'll put their money, their offering to the temple and to God. The temple treasury itself is a, a large wooden chest with a kind of metal horn that comes out of it. The rich very proudly walk up to the temple treasury. They pull out their many coins and they kind of scatter them into the horn. You can hear them clinking around the horns. They fall to a clump in the chest. Everyone knows they've got lots of money. Everyone knows that they're offering not just a little bit, they're offering a lot to God. They are the pious. They are the holy elite. But behind them, Bracker approaches the treasury. She pulls out two small copper coins called lepta. She places them in the treasury and walks away. Bracker at this point is unaware that she's been watched. She's been watched the whole time. Jesus is standing next to one of the pillars of the colonnade, leaning against it, watching her. Peter, John, all of you, come over here. The 12 disciples begin to gather around him. He can't believe what he's seeing. You, you see this poor widow. She... 
she has given more than everyone standing in front of her. You see, they gave out of their great wealth. But she has given out of her poverty everything she has. I don't know about you, but do you know the uh, a real change of pace here and, and delivering the sermon? Do you know that, that moment when, when you, you come with cash to buy something at a till? Maybe, I mean, I don't know about you, but I never carry cash. The fact I've got cash in the first place is a miracle. When you give them a couple of pounds or, or, or a five-pound note, and you're given this change back, which is fine if the change is maybe pounds or if it's 20p's or 10p's, but you know the moment when the attendant goes, ah, oh, unfortunately, we haven't got any of the right change, sir, so I'm going to have to offer you some copper coins. Are you okay with that? And you're not really okay with that, but you can't really say, no, I don't want copper coins. So yes, you take the change, and you end up having a massive amount of kind of copper coins in your hands, right? Copper coins that maybe a long time ago would have been useful, now they're, they're pretty useless. They really sit there in your wallet, in your purse, weighing it down, weighing your handbag down. If you've got skinny jeans on, they're a pain in the backside. It doesn't make any sense. And, and these copper coins, once, at one point, would have maybe bought you some penny sweets. Back in the day, back in the day, but we don't talk about this stuff on the news, do we? The high rise in price of sweets, up from 1p to 2p, and a Freddo, which was originally 10p, is now 20p. A chocolate frog. How much, how much now? 25p. Literally, what is the world coming to? These are the things that need, these matter. So these coins, to some extent, they sit in our wallets, they sit in our purses, they mean nothing. They're, they're pretty much good to be thrown away. But yet, as I was reading this story, I realized this was probably more than that widow would have had. Isn't that insane? When you put your, 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 yourself in that perspective, this rubbish, to some extent, for us, would have been more culturally than she would have possibly had herself. And she, had, she was willing to give all of that to the temple to God. So what is, what, what is Jesus getting at? What's, what's the point of this story? The rich gave out of their great abundance. It wasn't the money they gave. I mean, they gave so much, but the point was they weren't giving anywhere near as much as the widow because although she had little, she gave all of that little she had to God. She gave literally everything, putting her trust, her full um, obedience to God, saying, Look, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to survive, but this is yours. And we're in a series um, at the moment looking at giving, and the title of this message is The Goal of Giving. So what is the goal of giving? The goal of giving is the heart. Giving is a matter of the heart more than anything else. More than how much you give, more than what you give, giving is a matter of the heart. And as I was thinking about this story this week, um, as you can imagine, it's not, it's pretty, it's pretty challenging, isn't it? I'm not going to lie, I was sitting there thinking, wow, this is a really challenging message. And I was thinking, what do I have to come and tell you this morning? Is God wanting me to come and say, do you know what, if you want to give everything you know, God, God has given you, then you need to go back, transfer everything you own in your bank account to the church, and then when the offering comes around, if you could just empty your wallets and purses fully, giving us all the copper change, that would be amazing, because that's what the text says. But in fact, it's not, is it? And I think the more I looked at it, not that I want to move away from the truth or the challenging nature of this text, because it is a challenging text, but the point Jesus is getting at, he's commending this widow for her priorities, that our heart was for God first and God above all else. That actually she acknowledged somehow that her money was all God's as everything else is. So in that respect, she wants to give everything back to him as she has received so much from this God. So the practical question I've been asking and I want, I want us to explore for a little bit is just what are the priorities of our finances? 
right? What are the priorities of our finances? Where is the focus of our money and, and where it goes? And you may be sitting there going, well, Ross, I give my 10% each month. And that's amazing. And don't hear me by any means rubbishing the concept of a tithe. For those who don't know what that is, um, there's a biblical concept throughout the, this idea that, that you give 10% of your wages, 10% of what you earn to God and his kingdom and, and, and for the betterment of what he's doing in this world. And that's awesome. We've got these, um, I've got a, I know a family and their, their little boys have got this kind of tithing system at home. They have three different pots. They have one pot for spending, one pot for saving, and one pot for giving. Now the rule is they can put the money in the spending pot, but if they choose somewhere along the line they want to save that money, they feel free to move it to that pot. And if they want to give that money, that's not a problem at all. But there's a magical field that prevents them from going the other way. <laughs> so if you've given, you can't use that money later for the exorbitant one penny sweets. That's the basic rule. So tithing is, is, is brilliant. And if you're giving 10%, amazing. And, and, and maybe that's the place that God's called you to give. And actually 10% is difficult, and yet you're still giving it. Let me commend you in that. That is awesome. But sometimes we're we not inclined to give 10% knowing it's a tithe because, well, if we're honest, we know that we have to give because that's kind of the obligation and guilt would push us to do so. And therefore, we know that 10% is the minimum. So let's just give exactly 10%. And my question then is, our heart right in that? Are we giving God everything if that's the kind of attitude we have when we come to our finances? For example, maybe um, 20% of your wages goes towards, uh, towards luxuries like, like going out with friends and um, enjoying clothes and, and, and music and all these other things that we enjoy doing, which are awesome. Don't hear me by any means. I love these kind of things. Don't hear me standing up here and saying they're bad. But if 20% of our wages is going towards this, and we're giving 10% to God, does that not... I don't know, I'm asking this as a kind of question. For me, that, there's, there's a discontinuity there in some respects, that we're maybe giving more to things that we enjoy. We're more holding back than we are giving to Him. The aspect being that if everything flows out of our hearts, then our desire to, to store up other things, everything for ourselves, somehow shows where our priorities lie. Giving is a matter of the heart. And I want, to know, want you to know as well as I deliver what is as I said, quite a challenging message. I remember I was writing this. I was sitting on my sofa the other day. Everyone was outside seemingly enjoying the beach and the warm weather. And I was stuck in the sofa preparing a sermon. No, I'm joking. It's absolutely a privilege. But as I was doing it, I was sitting there and I was, I was like writing a story and thinking about the narrative, putting myself in the mindset of this, of this widow. And I remember I went, oh, no. So those moments where God just goes, yeah, Ross, think about your finances for a second. I, 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 I give, but in that moment I was like, but is it a priority? I mean, it's important to me, and I do give, but I got ridiculously challenged. So please know that I don't stand here pointing fingers because I'm going back to analyze and think about this myself and bring this before God. A perfect um, illustration, I think, of, of this kind of concept of giving from the heart is in relation to um, a farmer I knew. And this farmer was, is in Ross and Y. He had many different fields, worked the land well, had a, had a, had a lot of money. He was a very wealthy guy. And, and one, of his partic- one of his fields in particular, he never used to farm on. He had sheep and, and other um, livestock that could go on this field. He could plant and do all kinds of things there, but he didn't because he used to give that field up to various youth group, um, groups that would come from churches to do their camps there. It was right next to a beautiful river. The surroundings were perfect for people that come and, and enjoy these youth camps. And what I admired about this is he could have made a, a pretty, I mean, he could have made a lot of money on that field. 
And yet, he put that aside because his heart's desire was to give everything to God for the sake of these youth camps. In fact, not only did he not charge the churches that used the field, but he would then come and mow the lawn. He would then come and help them build the tents when it came down. He would use his tractor to bring people along and do all kinds of things to bring fridges in. And it was, it was kind of glamping in that respect. I mean, we had a full functioning kitchen down on, on the field. But he helped in all of that. That was part of his giving. He gave so much away. His heart was right before God. His desire was to worship him and his kingdom. And his business and everything he did was focused on that. Giving is a matter of the heart. So this week, I want to encourage you to to take maybe some of the stuff that's been said here, this challenging message. Come before God and say, Father, where do my priorities lie? Is my heart right? Help me to give you everything. Father, where do my priorities lie? Is my heart right? Help me to give you everything. And maybe after that prayer, you know, you'll leave thinking, I really feel I'm giving out of my heart. I really feel I'm giving to God everything and what I should be. Maybe, Maybe you'll be challenged to give more. Whatever it is, in bringing it to him, I know he will direct us and guide us. Amen? to where we're meant to be going with our finances and prioritizing him. Alan Cole says this, In the days when Christian churches are dazzled by large incomes and ambitious blueprints, it is well to remember that the Lord measures giving not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. And the widow kept nothing, but she gave it all. The goal of giving is the heart. Giving is a matter of the heart. Where do your priorities lie? Can we pray? Father, I realize this is a challenging message and and pray that the heart of it will be heard. Your heart, that grace will abound. This will not be about some sense of legalism or or the church wants money by any means, Father, but it will be for the fervent of your kingdom that we will see you do amazing things in this community, that these finances will be used to bless so many people in need. We pray in this challenge, Father, you will help us hear your heart and what it is you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen.